My name is Daniel Tutt. I'm a writer and um, educator based in Washington, D.C. And my focus is in Marxist thought and practice. So I'm not necessarily um, committed to an academic vocation. I'm much more interested in uh, scholarship, which can go beyond just an academic milieu or, um, you know, somebody recently said that academics are always concerned with what's new. They're not concerned with what's true. I find myself much more drawn to what's true in the field of scholarship, um, which is why I don't need to, need to call myself an academic. I'm much more interested in being a scholar. And for that matter, I'm much less interested in the question of credentials and all of that, which I think actually can be a quite a profound distraction to the art of, of thinking and speculative thought. Thank you for tuning in to The Global Novel. I'm Claire Hennessy. Today, I speak with philosopher Daniel Ta on several basic notions of Marxism and literature. Daniel's research focuses on psychoanalytic theory and Marxist thought. He is the author of Psychoanalysis and the Politics of the Family, The Crisis of Initiation. He's also adjunct professor of philosophy at George Washington University, Marymount University, and senior research fellow at the Global Center for Advanced Studies. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Big fan here. Well, how would you explain what Marxism is to a stranger whom you meet on the street or a family member who is not academic or even to a five-year-old? Hey, that's a great question. I suppose if I was on an elevator talking to a stranger, having to say what Marxism is in one minute, I would basically say that it is an active practice uh, mm -hmm. that is built around uh, the achievement, um, the unmet achievement of collective human freedom uh, in our in our epoch, which is ruled by a system known as the capitalist world system. Mm -hmm. And Marxism is a, a view of capitalism, which is um, convincingly uh, systematic and um, uh, distinguished by its precise analysis regarding um, the impossibility for mm -hmm. the achievement of freedom under capitalism. So Marxism puts forward a very, very convincing view regarding the um, limitations for the achievement of full human freedom in capitalist uh, social life. And so Marxism, ISM, is the legacy of the insights that Karl Marx uh, opens. He's just a founder uh, of a, of a of this practice. I wouldn't call it a philosophy in part because Marx himself, along with his partner, uh, Frederick Engels, um, put forward a scathing criticism of existing, of existing institutional philosophy in their time. And so Marxism has some common presuppositions, mm -hmm. uh, but Marxists uh, obviously have healthy and sometimes less healthy debates about what those presuppositions uh, are that compose uh, the coherence of Marxism. So it's fairly open. Uh, I would say um, it's not to be understood, although many have sought to understand it as a modern theology or as a modern religion. It's not to be understood in that way, just as it's not to be understood as a, as a philosophy. It's rather a practical, much more practical mode of critique of capitalism on the one hand, in the mature 
refined development of Marx's uh, Capital series, which is um, itself a systematic and scientific critique uh, from social from the field of social science, uh, which portends a lot of insights into other fields of human knowledge. So Marxism is also a highly interdisciplinary field. So right. Marxism um, makes interventions and even invents new fields of 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 analysis and renders existing fields of analysis such as anthropology or sociology completely revolutionizes them right? Right, right so marxism is a true event in the history of human thought mm-hmm. um you can make comparisons about marxism uh, in relationship to prior um moments of revolutionary history and that's right. something that a lot of soviet historians have done Mm-hmm. Where you can kind of compare um, Marx as a, a a figure who thinks egalitarian emancipation of humanity, for which there have been many precursors in the history of humanity. Right. Um, so that's that's a worthy endeavor. But Marxism, um, more pointedly and more specifically, deals with the very specific mode of production of the capitalist social relation, which emerges in about the 1830s with industrialization and for which we still live with today. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, Marxism is very fresh, even though it's from the 19th century. Its insights into capitalism remain, by and large, um, very, very sound. Mm-hmm. So uh, Marxism is, is, is defined in these ways, I would say. Right. Well, we know that Marxism is grounded in 18th century French Enlightenment, German post-Kantian philosophy, and English political economy, as well as early 19th century European socialism, right? And among all of these, most significant and prominent is its heritage from Hegelianism. So why don't we start with Hegel? Could you briefly talk about who he is and his major philosophical thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think you mentioned also the... um 18th century enlightenment i think it's i think it's useful to mention um jean-jacques rousseau uh in this context because rousseau is a philosopher for whom the french revolution uh, which is the revolution that started the kind of modern political system that we live with um Mao Zedong was once asked what he thought of the french revolution in the 1970s and he says well it's not over yet Right. So in the same way that Marx's analysis of capitalism in the 19th century still speaks to us, the French Revolution still speaks to us. And the philosopher, uh, in some sense of the French Revolution, was was Rousseau. And Rousseau brought with him a very specific uh, understanding of how we might overcome the alienation um, that modern society br- mm-hmm. brings about. In, in his case, it was more of a feudal order. But still, nonetheless, Rousseau was concerned with the plight of the poor. He was concerned with the plight of the downtrodden. Mm -hmm. But um, Hegel um, critiques Rousseau, and so does Kant, and so does German idealists, because Rousseau is not a German idealist. Um, They critique him really more around how his understanding of the causes of alienation come about. Mm -hmm. And this Mm -hmm. debate about the causes of alienation um, is one really, I think, helpful way to think about the lineage and the genealogy from French Enlightenment up through Kant, 
through Hegel up through Marx. It becomes a philosophical debate in that regard. Right. And um, one of the things that is concerned with is this sort of notion of how humanity restores its own essence, uh, how humanity becomes reconciled um, from its alienation, which, of course, is a very much a Christian theme, right? So you have implanted in this question of the reconciliation of humanity a deeper question, which divides the right and the left about whether our conception of humanity must be a universal egalitarian one or not, right? So in general, Rousseau, Kant, and Hegel all accept a general egalitarian conception of humanity, mm-hmm. right? In that sense, you know, it's important to understand that a lot of Marxist readings of thinkers like Kant and Hegel will show that they were so influenced by the French Revolution in its radicality, because the French Revolution was initiated, even though it created the modern system of right, left, center, that we're Mm -hmm. familiar with in the parliamentary system in the West, Mm -hmm. even though it did that, it was brought into existence by the left, by the Jacobin position, by the radical, egalitarian, universal insistence. So Kant adopts this important universal position, which is a fundamentally egalitarian revolutionary position into this. This actually is what forms the bourgeoisie, the the ruling class after the French Revolution, which was largely a merchant based class. That egalitarian impulse formulates their worldview. Mm-hmm. So the worldview of the bourgeoisie contains within it a universal potential. But as the system of capitalism develops in the industrial age, especially starting in about the 1830s up to the late 1840s, <laughs> there begin to emerge contradictions mm-hmm. that prevent the realization of bourgeois universalism. Mm -hmm. And it is those contradictions that Hegel will start to identify starting in his early work um, all the way up through his uh, reflections um, on government and so on and so forth. And it's at that point that Hegelianism becomes the kind of leading philosophy of the bourgeoisie, of the intelligentsia of the elite intelligentsia across the european universities Mm -hmm. it's a very interesting side point that um after french revolution napoleon never i mean he kind of conquers germany right Mm -hmm. where where hegelianism is obviously based um hegel obviously has that famous encounter on the streets uh with with napoleon and says that this is the world spirit incarnate in material terms it's very interesting to understand that germany never fully experienced the same full revolution across its institutions as did france which means that uh, germany was actually in a more dire situation from a socio-material standpoint its class compositions was more contradictory and its uh, working class struggle, therefore, was more um, potent and more intense, which Mm -hmm. is why by the time of 1848, Germany was the apex, the center of 
a profound worker uprising and profound worker agitation, right? <laughs> so Marx is a young philosopher who's from a bourgeois family mm -hmm. uh, living in Germany, but he finds himself um, a part of an idealistic uh, assortment of uh, young thinkers called the young Hegelians. Right. And he um, experiences a kind of radicalization as a, as a early, as a young man mm -hmm. um, and ends up becoming a journalist for an one of the most important far left liberal, not necessarily mm -hmm. socialist, but far left liberal um, magazines, mm -hmm. Rheinische Zeitung. And he holds this post as the chief, one of the chief editors. So he, he's basically writing um, essays and he's reviewing essays from a far left liberal point of view mm -hmm. amidst a social context in which there is undeniable worker agitation from a new class that is emerging within industrial capitalism mm -hmm. that socialists, because there were socialists around at this time, mm -hmm. and Marx would start to interact with them. He would start to uh, learn from them, etc. There was also communists because mm -hmm. communism uh, in some sense comes out of Blanquism. Louis Auguste Blanqui is one of the very uh, significant um, leaders of the Paris Commune, but he started a movement stretching back to the 1830s, which was focused on a kind of conspiratorial egalitarian agenda, right? Which was to eradicate all of the vestiges of the aristocracy that were not adequately overcome in the French Revolution. Hmm? Right. So part of the question, even in industrial capitalism at that time for some socialists, was the question of a full uh, overcoming of feudal relations. There's still, for example, even in Germany, uh, there was a landed nobility that still mm -hmm. had a lot of political power and a lot of political control. Right. Let's keep in mind that this feudal incrustation mm -hmm. survived across Europe all the way up through World War One. Mm -hmm. You see, because World War One was in a sense the final straw that broke the camel's back of this old nobility. Like this is where we get the kind of collapse of that entire structure. But if we go back to the 1830s as a young Marx, 1840s, mm -hmm. uh, this was a real question. Mm -hmm. But Marx said, because part of what Marx was, was doing was... Uh, debating with other socialist thinkers, with other young Hegelians, with, with other young intellectuals mm -hmm. regarding uh, the, uh, the best conception for how we understand social antagonisms mm -hmm. in our present. Because Hegel has a maxim, a kind of maxim which you could understand as the sort of guiding task of the philosopher, mm -hmm. which is that the philosopher's task is the comprehension of their own time in thought. Right. Hmm? right. So Hegel tries to bring a, an analysis of historical forms of reason mm -hmm. to bear on the present in such a way that the, his notion he calls the dialectic becomes a way of sort of um, uh, arriving at a deeper 
higher logic about the um, um, sort of unmet demands of human freedom and liberation that exist housed within the present. Mm -hmm. So Hegelianism becomes a kind of um, a key or a kind of legend or a kind of strategy, if you will, mm -hmm. for how to um, arrive at the truth of one's own time. Um, if Hegel's second maxim, you could say, which you see in the phenomenology of spirit, which he writes just a few years after the French Revolution, in fact, mm -hmm. is that this knowledge of the present only comes in the wake of its occurrence, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the owl of Minerva flying at dusk theme, mm -hmm. right? Um, this means that this kind of ap what Hegel calls absolute knowledge mm -hmm. um, becomes at the center of his philosophy, right? Right. Now, the fact that it becomes the center of his philosophy also opens up a problem from the point of view of Marx, because it becomes a question of who has access to this and who doesn't. And this becomes a big, big, big theme of one of arguably the most important text in the canon of Marxism, which is the Communist Manifesto, mm -hmm. which is a treatise, a manifesto treatise written by Engels and Marx as a position of their organization amidst the 1848 worker rebellions. 1848 witnessed the largest uh, collective cross-nation uprisings and insurrections that were mostly spontaneous and all driven by this proletarian working class. So the alienation that this working class was experiencing was very unique. And uh, the ruling class had no means by which to remediate this unique form of agitation that capitalism was producing. Hmm? Right, right. So we see a claim by Marx and Engels in this work, the Communist Manifesto, that not only is our time, if Hegel's thing of comprehending one's own time, driven by this class struggle, which is primarily between two classes, mm -hmm. bourgeoisie and proletariat. Mm -hmm. But there's also, they claim, a trans, this is that this class struggle is trans-historical. So the reconciliation, therefore, of this class struggle, of the schism which divides humanity, mm -hmm. uh, is, is not unique only to, to us. No, they say mm -hmm. in this other text, they write, an early text called the German ideology, they give a kind of historical schema, right? That we can sort of go back and study past societies as also driven by the same schisms and the same class antagonisms. But those class antagonisms are precisely what Hegel was unable to unearth in his analysis. Hegel didn't, didn't give an adequate account of this and nor did Hegel adequately locate the most uh, poignant uh, logic for the expression of the universal truth of humanity from the standpoint of what Marx calls labor. Ultimately, uh, Marx will say that in capitalist society, the only standpoint in which you can arrive at this achievement of this old uh, enlightenment ideal of universal universalism, mm -hmm. which is an anthropological question as well, it was already established as an anthropological question from thinkers like Feuerbach, mm -hmm. is through the position of labor. And that means that one must therefore come to a comprehension mm -hmm. of how the capitalist system functions 
as an almost impersonal form of a oppression and exploitation. Uh, and that, that then drives Marx to develop a more refined account of that in Capital. Right. Well, you just touched upon that Marxism is derived from Hegelianism. So could you please further explain in what ways that Marxism is a progression and even renovation from Hegelianism? Sure. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's... Uh... If you have enjoyed this episode so far and want to hear the entire episode, you can subscribe at theglobalnovel.com slash subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. 